Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to come here and worship you, to be nourished by your word and sacrament. We ask now, uh, as I preach from your word, that you would speak through me, that you would soften our hearts to receive what you have for us in your word, that your people would be edified and that you would be glorified. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. An obscure 1979 movie called Stalker takes place in a dystopian, post-apocalyptic future in Russia. The film follows three men, the scientist, the writer, and the stalker. Very creative names, I know. Well, it follows them as they travel through a mysterious and forbidden territory in the Russian wilderness called The Zone. In The Zone, nothing is as it seems. Objects change places. The landscape shifts and rearranges itself, and it seems as if an unknown intelligence is seeking to thwart every attempt to enter its borders. Well, in that zone, there is said to be a bunker, and in that bunker, there is said to be a room, a place called the room. Again, very creative, but it's a mysterious place which has the power to make your deepest wish, your highest love, a reality. Well, the stalker is the hired guide for the journey because he has been to this place many times and is used to the pitfalls and the traps and the distortions of the zone. And only by following his lead can the writer and the scientist make it alive and obtain their greatest wish in the room. Well, as they journey further and further through the zone and get closer to the room, it occurs to them. Their greatest concern is no longer the journey. Their greatest concern is themselves. Because the closer they get to the room, the more they have this sinking feeling, this concern about themselves, which is, do I love what I think I love? Is my deepest wish really what I think it is? That theme has everything to do with what we are looking at today in Luke 10, 38 through 42. So that's one more time to find the passage for you. So where have we been? If you missed last week, Gene preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we learn about how loving our neighbors, even when they aren't like us, is a hallmark of the Christian faith. It's what we do. And where are we going? Well, next week, I hope you'll come back as we continue our journey through the Gospel according to Luke and our series that you may be certain as we look at Luke 11, 1 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. So plug, if you, like me, have struggled in prayer, finding time to pray, knowing what to pray or how to pray, I hope you'll come back and join us because we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to pray. But for today, as we look at the story of Mary and Martha, I want us to consider three points. The first point, our habits form our priorities. Our second point, 
Christ is the good portion. And our final point, we cannot work our way into God's love. These three points seem very different from one another, but my hope is that by the end of this talk, we'll see that they're very related. So habits form or inform our highest loves, what we'll call priorities. What I mean is we do not develop our habits based on our priorities, but rather our priorities are built on a foundation of our habits. Even if we want something to be our priority, it is our life, it is our nature and our habits which define our true priority, our highest love. In the example of the movie The Stalker, the writer and the scientist are concerned not because they're not sure what they desire to be their priority, but because they're concerned that their desired priority is not their actual one, that there is a disconnect between what I wish I loved and what I actually love. And the only way for those two things, our desired priority or love and our actual priority or love, to intersect to be the same thing is if we orient ourselves, orient our habits, to look toward our desired priority. And what is the story of Mary and Martha, if not a story of habits? As we look at the habits of Mary and Martha, I want you to consider this quote from a great book called You Are What You Love by my favorite living philosopher, James K.A. Smith. If you haven't read this book, it's brilliant. And come see me afterwards. I'm happy to lend it to you, or you can find it on Kindle. Great. Not to advertise for Smith, I'm not getting paid for that. I just, really <laughs> I just really like that book. Anyway, so James K. A. Smith says, the orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love takes practice. The story of Mary and Martha is a story of habits. It's a story of one person whose habits line up with their professed priorities and another person who, perhaps a little like us, might be disjointed between what they profess to be a priority and what actually is a priority. Remember earlier we said that this is, church is a hospital for sinners. We're in this together, right? There is grace for this. We're just being honest with each other. We struggle, I think, with our priorities. So let's take a look at our passage, looking first at what we'll call the Martha habit. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So far so good, right? She welcomes Jesus into her home. She meets his needs. She cares for him, and in fact, the word used to welcome Jesus in as a guest here actually means to care for or nurture Jesus. She's not just giving him a place to lay his head. She is caring for him in a deep and almost motherly kind of way. It becomes clear here that Martha does have a concern and perhaps even a love for Jesus, right? Well, where's the disconnect here? What happens um, in this perceived priority. Let's look at verse 40. We're going to be hopping around a little bit here, so down to verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean, if you're making dinner and somebody that shares that space with you is sitting with the guests and drinking a beer and not helping you in the kitchen, you might get a little frustrated, right? Makes sense. It's like, dinner, I'm trying to make these calzones, and you're over there talking with Jesus. Come help me out so we can serve him. Well, the word for distracted, when we look at the Greek here, is not a situational thing. What's being said here is not in this moment. In this event, Martha happened to become a little distracted. The word is written in a way which says this is an ongoing thing. This is a state of being. It is her disposition to be worried and distracted. This is the Martha habit, getting worried about everything. Well, here Martha is distracted by her service, right? And the word for service means work of the table. It's where we get the word deacon from. It's like my job description, basically. She's distracted from ministry. It's a good thing, right? There's nothing wrong with making Jesus dinner. The guy's got to eat. There's nothing wrong for keeping your house tidy or doing whatever she had to do. It needs done. She wants to make sure Jesus is taken care of. She wants to make sure that he is treated like a proper guest. We can all resonate with that in some way. But the problem comes from a misplaced priority. She's so caught up in thinking that she's right, she gets caught up in the doing of the thing, and so upset that she walks up to, Je- to Jesus and Mary and gives them her mama bear look, right? She's not just mad at Mary now, she's frustrated with Jesus, too. Tell her to help me. Can't you see that I'm the only one out here working? She thinks she is in the right here, right, by making sure Jesus is cared for as a guest. She had good intentions. She wanted to do well. She wanted to make sure that her loved ones were fed. Martha was a lot like us. And she would fit right into our American suburban, gotta get it done, gotta get it done, gotta get it done, gotta get it mentality. But when our disposition is to worry, when our primary concern is our perceived productivity, it begs a question that I want us to sit on for a little while. We'll get back to it later. Why? Why? Do we need to worry about trying so hard? Why must we get on the speeding train of productivity and accomplishment? Why must our worry become our highest love? Let's sit on that, and like I said, we will come back to it. But first, let's take a look at the Mary habit in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Do you notice right away the difference between Martha and Mary? Martha is going, 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 full speed ahead. She's got stuff to get done. Mary simply sat at the Lord's feet. That phrase, sat at the Lord's feet, actually implies to come alongside of with no agenda. When was the last time we just 
sat down or came alongside of someone with no agenda, much less for that sitting down and coming alongside of to be the word of God and allowing God's word to form us no matter the cost. No agenda, just allowing his word to form us. So Martha's out here running around like a chicken with her head cut off. She's got stuff to get done. And Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to his teaching. The word for listen means utmost focus. But that's not the interesting part about this word. Think back to Martha, how she was distracted and worried, how it wasn't based on an event. It wasn't situational. It was an ongoing experience. It was the nature of Martha to be worried. The word listened is written in the same way. See, Mary has a habit, too. Mary has a state of being, too. And that state of being is to listen, to listen to the Lord. Mary has a habit of faith. See, our habits form our priorities, not the other way around. If you were to ask Martha what her top priority was, she would have said amid or even because of the hustle and the bustle and the work and the dinner getting ready, Jesus is. She's like us. She's working hard. She's worrying about the people she's caring for. It's a noble thing. She values the productivity here. But she got sucked into the worry of they got to get it done, got to get it done, got to get it. She truly believed her hard work was an example of her commitment to what is good. Come on, she's making Jesus dinner. That's a pretty big deal. Making Jesus dinner. And like most of us, furious that she's the only one in the kitchen while everybody else is hanging out. Understandable. This isn't just any dinner. This isn't just any guest. And so she would have said, I'm focused on caring for Jesus. But as she got into the habit of worry over maintaining this priority, her priority, much like our own tends to, shifted from Jesus to the thing that she was worried and distracted over. What do we worry about? Just to name a few, status, reputation, money, whether our kids make the honor roll and the varsity team. All these things might be good, but they can and will be taken away, which Jesus reminds us of in the conclusion of this passage. Take a look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Again, anxious and troubled is written in the same way as distracted and listened. You're not situationally worried and troubled. You are in the disposition, in the nature and habit of being anxious and troubled. Pay attention to the end of his statement here. We don't want to miss this in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. 
friends, what we earned, what we drove, what sports our kids played, what time dinner got ready, whether we got that next promotion. They're all things that pass away, not things that should create in us a habit of being worried. So all the great modern prophets of our time come from country music. And from the band Sugarland comes one particular prophet, Christian Bush, who once sang, I don't know why, know why everybody want to die rich. Diamonds, champagne, work your way down that list. We try, everybody tries, tries to fit it into that ditch. But you can't take it with you when you go. I've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. I've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. Only one thing is necessary, and Jesus calls it the good portion. And not only is it good, but it is the only thing of eternal significance. The good portion echoes Old Testament language, which refers to fellowship with the Lord as the greatest possession we could ever acquire in life. The free gift of grace through faith in Christ alone is the only thing we can take with us when we die. And not only is the good portion the only thing that ultimately matters, it's the only thing that cannot be taken away. So the phrase, will not be taken away, comes from a word. Are you ready for this? All my seminary led up to this one word. Aphirathesitai. I know there's some Greek people out here that might be able to pronounce it better. Aphirathesitai. I feel like it was worth all that religious education just to kind of limp my way through pronouncing that word. The phrase states emphatically that the subject cannot be taken away or cannot be reversed due to a decisive act. And it only occurs in this tense one time in all of Scripture, and that's in this passage. But it occurs about ten times in other tenses, but all occurrences refer to either our utter security in Christ by grace through faith, which cannot be reversed, and our utter removal of our sins by grace through faith in Christ, which cannot be reversed. When we take this good portion, what Christ offers to us, it cannot be taken away from us. Christ is the good portion. Christ is the good portion. Earlier, when we were looking at Martha's habit, posed a question, why do we worry? Why do we overwork ourselves? Why is our inclination to be in the habit of being worried about being impressive or productive? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would find the answer to be some variant of, I'm not good enough. And I really want to be. I want to earn love and respect. I want to feel worthy. Somewhere along the line, we each either got told or told ourselves that we were not good enough and to have love. We had to earn it. To have inherent worth and dignity, we had to earn it. And so we set out on a journey to prove to the world and to ourselves that we are. And that mentality leaks into our faith 
too. We try to work to earn Christ's love, to earn God's approval somehow, but we cannot earn God's love. We can't. We can't earn God's love. And in our text today, we saw Martha running around, working hard, worrying endlessly, earning. But what's Mary doing? She's sitting still. She's soaking in the presence of the Lord. She is making a habit out of being with the Lord simply to be with the Lord. No agenda. No worrying. Just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary's taught us a lesson here. We don't need to, nor can we, Impress God. We can't work our way into God's love. And in understanding this, in understanding that all this striving and all this hard work goes nowhere, we can begin to exchange a habit of worry for a habit of faith in Jesus. We have so much to learn from in such a short text, just a few verses. So what do we do with it? Easiest homework assignment that's ever come from a sermon. We learn to sit. We learn to be still. Sit at the feet of Jesus. And this starts with a simple thing, just making a habit out of being in God's word and praying. We do this together on Sundays, right? And I'm glad you're here. It's awesome when we worship together. It's like the hallmark of the Christian week. But the habit, the habit which informs the true priority of worshiping, of loving God, is formed by our private worship throughout the week, by habits which make Jesus our focus, not the worries of this life. So we read scripture we pray. We're Anglicans, so we get a handicap. We do the daily office. It's all written for you. Remember that God loves us, and it has nothing to do with how impressive we are. Let's bask in this reality on a daily basis, and I hope you'll come back next week when we talk about how to pray, how Jesus teaches us to pray. But for this week, until we meet again, Let's learn to sit at Jesus' feet, developing a habit of faith in the one who loved us so much, not for anything we did, that he died for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that you teach us in the story of Mary and Martha. Form our habits, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to be oriented on faith and not on worry. Be with us as we continue this service that it would be glorifying to you. And be with us as we go from here that we would live our lives in the love of you and in confidence in our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.